0: Good evening, everyone, and yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming out. Um, We're working our way through the second part of Daniel, Um, Daniel's chapter 1 to 6. Okay. (laughs) Daniel chapter 1 to 6, we recognize is his lifetime. It's the historical aspect of Daniel, his contemporary life. And then chapters 7 to 12 are a, d- a description of the visions he had while he's living in those, those chapters in those years, um, but obviously with a prophetic application, and um, we've been trying to, just not trying to, but just seeing how that, that comes together a little bit. So we've, we looked last week at chapters 7, 8, and 9 um, in overview, and chapter 7 is, gives us the big overview of the kingdoms that Daniel was given, um, which followed very historically. I mean, it's totally remarkable. Um, there's only two choices. Either this is somebody writing history or it is the handi- handiwork of God who knows history um, before it happens, which we believe. And academically, and I've researched it for years, it's getting more and more. There's more and more good scholarship. There's more and more confidence um, in the Word of God, when I was at university and then doing different theological studies in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the scholarship was probably slightly weighted on the what we call the liberal side, those who are sceptical, should we say, not, not insincere necessarily, but just hesitant to take it as because it's so remarkably accurate. Now this, the pendulum has definitely swung the other way and there is such... Great expertise around the world, uh, valid scholars who, who who attest to the uh, inspiration of Scripture and the predictive aspect. So that's just to just to reassure us, I hope. So chapter seven is is an overview, and uh, particularly of the specific kingdoms that Daniel is given: the contemporary kingdom of Babylon, then the following world empire of the Medo-Persians, which initially becomes uh, is is led by the Medes, but becomes dominated by the Persians, so we call it the Persian Empire. Then Alexander the Great, very, very well-known historical figure, glamorous figure, there's movies, there's books, there's all kinds of stuff, who has this remarkably rapid ascent and world conquest right through to India, but dies and his empire is broken up into the four generals. And... Lysimachus and Cassandra are currently Greece and Turkey, and then Seleucid is currently Iraq and Syria, and Ptolemy is Egypt. And that's quite very, very significant, and it'll, it'll play out in what we share tonight. Out of, after the time of those generals, which is a time of extreme warfare, and Chapter 11, uh, where, where we'll overview briefly tonight, uh, really describes much of that, then we get the the final beast, or the final the ten the, the legs and the the ten toes of clay and iron, which are initially the Roman Empire, but when described as a beast by God is is an indescribable beast. It's it's more voracious than any equivalent there is in 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 nature. So we kind of looked at that, and then having looked at those empires and those um, antichrist. Uh, motivated and inspired kingdoms we get the wonderful assurance of the ancient of days and the man of god who of Christ who is the son of man there with him which is picked up again in revelation chapter 1 so there's a direct connection connection there so while we're looking at these beastly kingdoms and we see their destructive forces and their persecution and their injustice and their uh, satanic Activity and satanically empowered stuff. God is reigning beautifully and orchestrating in the sense of not—he's not the source of these evils, but he—he he accommodates human free will. He accommodates these powers and authorities um, in such a way that they're exposed for what they are. And the people who know their God, as, as says wonderfully here, the people who knew their God do great exploits. Um, knew they understand their times, and so. It reinforces us as the body of Christ. It reinforces our identity with Christ. And it it makes us um, excited. It makes us challenged. It makes us um, hopefully effective in our testimony to those around us who are frustrated, who are confused, who are frightened, who are who've just batten down the hatches and say, it's too hard, <laughs> you know, just I'll just live my little life and go shopping. I don't know if that's the right conclusion. But um, rather than than try to... Uh, try to embrace what's really happening in the world. Well, we don't need to be that naive or that self-serving. We can, we can literally um, stand on God's word, stand on the confidence in him, knowing we already belong in his kingdom. Our, we are, our relationship with him is sealed as a guarantee, as Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. So, so that's where we've been. Um, and so tonight <clears throat> we'll pick it up um, in, verse, in chapters 10, 11, and 12, So I'll I'll walk through those um, reasonably broadly because I've given you fairly extensive notes and then I think that hopefully there'll be a bit of time at the end just then we can have questions and we can interact a little bit and if it's helpful we can look at the, well I think it would be helpful just to look at the chart that John's provided as well. But primarily I'm focusing on Daniel rather than bringing everything in which would be a a 20-week series, Mm. just kidding. But, you know, bringing in Revelation, bringing in Joel, bringing in Thessalonians and, and, and Isaiah and, and Matthew 24, etc. So let's just look, let's keep focusing on Daniel. So we pick it up tonight in chapter 10, which you'll be surprised to know follows chapter 9. And it um, <laughs> took me a long time to learn that. And the final thing in chapter 9 was the 77s and the 17 that will resolve everything. And if we look at Israel's history, we believe is still to come. And will I see that, seven, as the, the, the period of great tribulation? So moving down into, into chapter 10 in your notes, it's the revelation of spiritual warfare, the revelation of spiritual warfare. And chapter 10, as I put in the notes, is a little bit like an, it's an interlude before the final revelation of God's plan for the end times. It's a glimpse behind the scenes of what the re, uh, uh, the real conflict. The real conflict is really not oil and America and the Arab, Arab, Arab League or the, the, the Islamic community. Of course, that's the immediate, but beneath that is Satan and his attempt to take the role of God. We find that in Isaiah and Ezekiel, that Satan's ambition is to be as God, to reign where only God has the right to reign. And he's cast out of heaven, but he's permitted for a time to be the prince of this world. And he seeks to reign in our hearts personally, and he seeks to reign where only Christ has the right to rule. So we understand that, and it's spelled out for us in many other places not least in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual warfare in heavenly places etc etc so chapter 10 and I won't be able I won't read every verse in this section but just to get get us started chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 is a revelation of things to come so in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia And I I believe that Daniel's around about 85 at this age, at this time. So it kind of, I don't think there's anybody over, over, over that age here. So we're all available for the Lord, I'm sure. And I'm rapidly getting close. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war now the great war can be interpreted as either as the armageddon war or i think it's referring really to chapter 11 which is this great war of conflict between satan's instrument as we'll see antiochus epiphanes and god's people that's the great war the timeless war the war since genesis 3 but it incorporates armageddon incorporates uh, eras and warfare in, in on the global scale as as we see it and have seen it over centuries. And verse, uh, carrying on a reading in this, um, its message was true, it concerned a great war, the understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So I've given you a few thoughts there. Cyrus is the anointed one of Israel. Uh, he's of is- in Isaiah in Isaiah 40, I should know 46, 47 is it? Um, chapter 1 and at the end of the next chapter. He's identified as my servant and this is a phenomenal prophecy in Isaiah. 150 years before Cyrus appears in, in history, he is named twice by the, by the prophet Isaiah as one who will be my servant and who will, who will liberate the people. And it's when, when, when Darius the Mede took over Babylon, which we saw this morning in the end of chapter 5, that was the Mede, and then the Persians, and Cyrus comes in as the, the new emperor following Darius, and he is the one who gives the edict permitting Israel to go back into the Holy Land. And not only just permitting them to, but encouraging them to and providing for them in lots of ways, providing for them with military escort, providing access to the trees of Lebanon so they could rebuild the city. I mean, a remarkable turnaround from Nebuchadnezzar and all of the Babylonian kings who had stolen them out of their location. Here is a pagan king who was used by God, inspired by God. And apparently he read the the scriptures uh, that, that Jeremiah had prophesied this would happen. And in response to that, he permits and he becomes a servant of the Lord. So it's, a, it's quite a, a remarkable uh, historical thing that's such a, a dramatic change. And it's Zerubbabel who leads the people back with Joshua as a high priest. And um, so that's the, the, the return from exile. Ezra then takes another wave and then later on Nehemiah uh, goes and they rebuild the city. So here we have the, the revelation of things to come. It includes this great war. Daniel himself mourns. That's either in anticipation of the revelation or as a consequence, but typical of Daniel. He's he's fully engaged in this. This is not theory. This is not theology and doctrine that he's just studying as a student. This, this is his identity, and he's seeing his people, his, his nationhood being used by God and being in the forefront of, of God's purposes and... Uh, We're the same now as the people of God, as his kingdom. And hopefully we identify and we embrace and we are not not separated from what's happening in the world, but pray into it and identify. We're we're the salt and light that God has in this world for this time. The second revelation is the revelation of God. And it's um, this beautiful um, reminder of that God is very evident and very, very re- uh, wonderfully revel- uh, revealing. God, so we can we go down those, Phil. The, they should have they should have appeared, but maybe not. Go to the next slide. Okay, revelation of things to come, and then the next one, revelation of God. Thank you. And you've got, I've got I've given you some notes there. How that this follows, that. In chapters 2 to 5, Daniel has been interpreting other dreams. In chapters 7 and 8, he's received his own visions. In chapter 9, he saw a specific vision and revelation of the future of Israel. And now, climax in a sense, is the glorious vision of the Son of God himself. We call it a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And he's he's overwhelmed. And I won't through, read through all these, these verses, but... The angels come and minister to him, and the first angel is the angel of the Lord, and if you're familiar with the language of a theophany or a Christophany, it's just a, a, a word we use for an appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. We get a number of those at different times. I mean, a classic one is Gideon. Gideon is, is confronted with, with the, the angel of the Lord. Joshua is challenged by the angel of the Lord. We we see as a, as a person of Christ. And we take that from, from the description that, that's given here. Let me just give you a little taste of that. Um, in verses uh, verse 5, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Again, Flick to Revelation one, and that's a description of Christ. Around him are angels who are ministers, and the angelic activity is something that we don't d- dwell much with, and that's appropriate. We're cautioned in Hebrews not to worship angels, but we're also reminded in the, in the latter chapter of Hebrews that we entertain angels unawares. So a- there is an angelic activity. Um, I like we have a guardian angels. That's always a comforting thing. Um, as as children, we or we encourage our children. You have a guardian angel. Um, I call mine Neville. No, it's just a joke. But we, we there is this um, real deal. And the Lord Jesus Himself was ministered to by angels. Remember His tempting, and um, and being fasting. It's angels who come and support Him, and He's preparing to go to Calvary. It's angels who who strengthen Him and provide Him, provide for Him. So it's it's a continuing thing, and we 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 don't we don't um, there's a caution of over-romanticizing angels and Hollywood does that and there's a danger of dismissing it as, as fairy stories. It's neither. It's, it's part of God's provision for us. They are ministering spirits. And so as, as Christ is here, in this context here, the other angels are with him and they are the ones who, who lift him up and, and encourage him, etc., and minister to him. So I encourage you to read, read through that. The third revelation in this chapter, and this is anticipatory, is of the real conflict. And the real conflict is, is captured in, in verses 10 to 14. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. I'm a sent one. That's what ministers are, uh, angels are, ministering spirits. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. It's very similar, isn't it, to John in the book of Revelation. And then he's told in verse 12, uh, yeah, verse 12, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, that was in his prayer in chapter 9, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. And then it's an interesting... uh, Little window on spiritual warfare here, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days, and that's been noticed many frequently that or by many that how remarkable that there's an angelic warfare going on, and that the as there are God we believe God given angels for nations and personally, and if we take Revelation seriously, there's angels in churches for churches. There's a, angels over nations, and equally, there are fallen angels, and there are the equal, an equal hierarchy, and there the, that's the battleground. As we live our lives here, we seek to serve the Lord in everyday, ordinary circumstances. This spiritual warfare is taking place, and we find it many times in Scripture. You think of um, in, in Judges with Gideon. Again, there's, as he comes down off Mount Tabor into the battle, it says... Th- and the stars fought in their courses, and stars are angels. So there's there's a constant background, which I'm glad we don't see. It would be too scary, probably, um, be a very just be a bit distracting, um, but be fascinating. And maybe one day we we'll, we'll get to see it, or we'll understand it. I know. So there is this spiritual warfare. That's why our prayers are very important. And I don't understand everything about prayer, but. Prayer is a means by which God's will is is, uh, stimulated. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it when he was asked, um, why do we pray for people um, when when God knows what's going to happen and what may not happen for many years? And C.S. Lewis said, as you are praying your prayer, whatever time, whatever circumstances, for God, that is now, it's in his eternal present. So no prayer is ever wasted. And he said, and as you pray, uh, this is C.S. Lewis says, God uses that to stimulate, to to bring an awareness, to bring sensitivity in the conscience of the person you're praying for, if it's a non-Christian, for example, or or affirming the work of the angels if it's a Christian, of the ministry and support and the, all of that sort of thing. So all to say, I'm glad I don't know. I'm glad I, well, I'm, I'm not glad I don't, but uh, it's an area, I, it's, God area, of, of absolute uh, rich activity of God in the heavenlies. I did do a ministry one time in the eighties down a week in Campbelltown, and we were doing some door-to-door work, and I came across a guy who was into the occult, and it was a little bit of an interesting encounter. And he asked me what I knew about angels, and I gave him my little five pennyworth. And he said, oh, you're like Reader's Digest. You don't know. And he was very into all of that stuff. And he had reams and reams of information. He tried to show me stuff. I wasn't really interested, other than him personally. Um, But he had a a certain... I mean, it's in the occult territory. They have a real grasp of spiritual stuff, and it's not good. Um, But it's very real and scary. And I've had a number of experiences like that over the years. So the point here, I think, is that the, the real conflict... Is, is not how many chariots have you got and how many chariots have I got, but what is being orchestrated here. What is Satan doing and how are the... the Satan is only a fallen angel. He's not the equivalent of God. It's not God and Satan fighting out this cosmic battle. There's many who would like us to think that. It is God reigning forever. But the, the battleground is angelic, is Michael who's the we believe the archangel over Israel Gabriel and the many other angels who are fighting those other angels who rebelled with Satan so that's the that's real territory that's where don't give satan any credit for being more than he is put him in his place we don't we're we're encouraged to draw near to God and go God will draw near to us and then command Satan to flee from you so we have authority over him because he's only an angel we will judge angels That's what the New Testament says. Anyway, I better not get parked on angels. But the real conflict is is a spiritual one, and we're not privy to that, which is great. Well, except that we know he wins. (laughs) And then the next revelation that we're given at the end of of chapter uh, 8 here is the revelation of the real victory. The revelation of the real victory. And it takes us into... Uh, 11 and, and, and verse 1 so verse 20 of um, so he said do you know why I have come to you soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia that's the the, the demon of, of that nation And when I go the prince of Greece will come but first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth no one supports me against them except Michael your prince and in the, being the prince of Israel Angel for Israel, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. That's the the real victory, and it's going to bring about God's perfect timing and perfect plan to resolve and to to bring to the seven years that are left from chapter nine to their to their fulfillment. Then we come into. Um, chapter 11 let's we kind of need to just jump ahead to to chapter 11 so chapter 10 is a little bit of a standing back and a personal affirmation for Daniel being being reminded that this is a this is God at work and there's an angelic spiritual warfare taking place but he but it's going to resolve everything and when the Michael wins his victory and comes, then everything will be re- restored and established. Chapter 11 is a biggie. It's a long chapter. And I call this the revelation of the future. And it's very much the future for Daniel historically. And in the notes there, I've noted that there are, there are at least 135 prophecies mentioned in these verses that have been historically verified, according to Campbell. So that's why it's such a controversial thing, that it could be so specific, so accurate. And quite a few years ago, now I worked my way through this chapter carefully with, and before you had a computer, you could just Google stuff. It's really annoying now. You know, all you have to do is ask Google, Google. I saw a sign the other day, it said, if your, name, if your name's not Google, then don't come across like you know everything, you know, which I thought was quite a good slam. But it, historically, and this is how I've, I've broken it up, and I'm certainly not... It we, we would be interesting, but we don't have the time to work our, our way through it now in detail. But I've broken it up into these sequences of eras, which historically I, I believe are accurate, and really do uh, capture this era, this period of history where the Persians are taken over by... The Greeks and the Greeks are is, the Greek Empire is split into the four, and then particularly this king of the north and king of the south, which is the Seleucid and the Ptolemies. And it's out in the midst of this that we get a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes, um, who we mentioned the other day is an Antichrist figure. And I've, I've brought some, you can take one afterwards if you like, a, a really good article on Antiochus Epiphanes, so much. Which I think will be very informative, so feel free to come and get one of those. But this whole chapter eleven is a phenomenal chapter in terms of prophecy, in terms of prediction, and captures what happened historically. I believe it happened as as I've I've written it here, um, and that certainly I'm I'm happy to stand on that. And we're but it was it's interesting, and, and I've given to Adam a DVD by a friend called Barry Sederfield. I don't know if you've heard of Barry Sederfield, but he, um, I met him first here at Cape and Ray in Australia in the 1980s, and he just blew me away with his biblical knowledge and his grasp of lots of things, but he was, he's a scientist, his understanding of creation, and his knowledge of end times, and he's continued to to be a friend, continue to help, and I've had him speak as many times as I can have him. And um, he is a lot, lot of story about Barry. He's such a delightful, very humble man, but very, very insightful. And he's been running an observatory in the US for the last number of years, um, giving lectures on astronomy, etc. but where he can, giving lectures on end times. And I always, if I have questions, I always flick an email to Barry, and he sends me all the answers I need. I almost don't need Jesus, I didn't say that. I just need Barry, no. He's been such a good uh, support in that way. And just recently, and it is recently, it's only I think in May or something, he put this DVD together of a presentation he gave, and he given it to Adam. And he walks through this chapter 11, and totally blew my theory, not my theory, but added to what I think is faithfully historical, and applies it in, in such a way that it actually I've, I've watched it twice and I can't fault it and um, I'm fascinated by it and he walks through right to the current situation we're in now which we're all familiar with, with ISIS and um, what's happening in Iraq and Syria and, and Turkey particularly but he relates it all the way through um, historically from, from Antony and Cleopatra through the um, emergence of Islam and the Ottoman Empire, which is the Turkish Empire, through to 1917, where where uh, General Allenby, who was a Christian, took Jerusalem without any any warfare, and it's here in Chapter 11, um, because Turkey was defending itself, and that, and that related very much to... Um, what we've just celebrated, the Gallipoli event, I mean it's, it's pretty amazing and he brings it right through to, to current times um, with the Arab Spring and the three nations that fell in the Arab Spring Tunisia and Libya and Egypt orchestrated by the Muslim Brotherhood who are, who are led and inspired, who are directed by Turkey so I won't go in anymore because I'm still trying to put my head around it all um, but I really encourage you to pick it, borrow it from from Adam, or better still, get your own and make and have a listen to it. And I'll I'll if you I'll give you Barry's email. If you afterward, please come and ask me, and I'll, I'll be I'll be happy to give you his email, and you can get access because he said he's got one more he's going to do. He's not well, and uh, circumstances are difficult for him financially, so he he has to do this out of his own uh, it's his own thing, and so. Uh, I encourage you to, to purchase one. Anyway, I'm still... I'm just absolutely capturing it. And, yeah, we did think about putting that on, but it's fairly, fairly time-consuming. But I encourage you to follow through on that. But alongside that, there or uh, historically in parallel to that, not contradictory to that, are these historical periods. And the, the key uh, one, if you look just at period 5... For a second is the period from verse 21 to 35 and it's the emergence of Antiochus Epiphanes who is the little horn that's that's referenced in the visions of the of the beasts and a direct foreshadowing of the Antichrist and I think that's absolutely clear because he is the one who commits the abomination of desolation which is referred to in these chapters, and Jesus refers to in Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation, as described by the prophet Daniel, so Jesus affirms Daniel's prophecy, prophet, prophetic role, then then the, you will know the end is here. And so there is the historically meant, and I mention it, and and this paper will will flesh it out a lot more. But basically, Antiochus Epiphanes is part of the the Seleucid. Dynasty that's opposed, opposing the Ptolemaic dynasty in the south. And they have two, two major powers, um, Syria and Iraq, and, and, and they captured quite a lot of the territory towards the Parthian Empire, which is more towards the east, and of course Egypt is always a powerful player. And in between is little Israel, little Judah, the, the, the pleasant land as it's described, part of the fertile crescent. And when, it, when the kingdom of the north... Invades, whoops, seeks to, uh, con- to invade Egypt, there's only one way to go, and that's through Israel. And so constantly, back and forwards, Israel is ravaged by these armies, and they are hostile armies. They're rapacious armies. They just strip and, fee- uh, and, and terrorize on their way through each time and just get all the support, all the, f- all the uh, food and all of the stuff they need. And it, it, it enrages this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, that he has, he's resisted so strongly by the Jews. And I believe this is satanically inspired, that he realizes why they are so tough and so resistant to my power, my authority. I should, they should bow down to me. They should give me everything. Is because of their God. And so in his twisted, satanically inspired way, Antiochus Epiphanes, thinks if I can break their allegiance to their God, then then I have them. And so we understand historically that he deliberately um, went into the temple, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and sacrificed a pig, knowing it would be an offense, knowing it would pollute, knowing it would stop their, their ability to have sacrifices, stop their identity and their relationship with their God, which of course it did, and that was for three and a half years. That's where we get our times, times and half a time. And it, as, as I mentioned last week, it was so extensive, the the desecration, that's the abomination of desolation, and he, he does more than that. He claims himself to be the one they should worship, etc. So it's an, an absolute uh, false apostate claim. And it's so devastating, but there is that one cruise of oil that was uncontaminated, and it it remained uh, sufficient to keep the light going in the temple until such time as they were able to cleanse other oil and the vessels, and the light never went out. And that's the Hanukkah festival that, um, that's celebrated every year in, by, uh, in Judaism and which is stepped, has been incorporated in our, in our Christmas story. So I think you, you're familiar with that, and we mentioned it last week. So that's, I believe that's no question about that being historical and referred to in these chapters. But it goes even further in verses 36 to 45 of, of chapter 11, where, and this is the prophecies concerning the Antichrist. So we can... Yes, thank you. The prophecies concerning um, the Antichrist. And just briefly in the notes there, the immediate person is Antiochus Epiphanes. And Epiphanes means the illustrious, um, but he was co- commonly known as Epimenes, which means a madman, because he was, he was like a Nero, he was out of his mind. And he's pre- just to the four points there, he's presented as someone new. There is no historic equivalent as there was for the previous section, the, the historic Antiochus died of an undiagnosed disease in Persia, but the Antichrist meets his end in Palestine, we're told in this in this section. It corresponds with overt end-time features in, in other parts of scripture, particularly Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, where the man of lawlessness, who is the Antichrist, when he appears, will present himself in the temple claiming to be God and demanding to be worshipped as God. And that's... That's the final climax of at the, at the end of the Great Tribulation. And it says when when that happens, the end will come. So I think we, we get a very strong sense that Antiochus Epiphanes, as the historical figure, is a prototype. He's an antitype of the Antichrist. And we're told in 1 John that the anti- spirit of Antichrist has always been with us. And we can see that through history with other... Evil dictators, we've got our Stalins, our Hitlers, we've got our Mussolinis, we've got our Idi Amins, we've got our Pol Pots, we've got our Osama bin Ladens, we've got we've got plenty of candidates for Antichrist that have been on our on our landscape. And there'll always be candidates. And one will ultimately become the figure, the, the figure we find in Revelation 13, who becomes the beast, who the dragon empowers with his strength, which is Satan. And the false prophet uh, orchestrates worship and, and allegiance to, and there are signs and wonders that are associated with that. So what is distinctive about him? Well, it's, uh, I'll, let's just walk through these these features, these 10 features. He will act in self-will, if you, if you care to uh, fill in these gaps. The, f- the first one is he will act in self-will, and that's... That's our fallen nature that Satan relates to and seeks his own self-preservation. That's why he is so orchestrating hostility to Israel, hostility to the church. He knows that everything that Israel represents, everything the church represents is the Christ, the true Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he acts in self-will for his own purposes. He exalts himself. That's number two. He will exalt himself to the point where he seeks to be worshipped. He will thirdly, magnify himself. He will magnify himself above every god. Fourthly, he will blaspheme the true god. He will blaspheme the true god. Fifthly, he will prosper for a limited time, and we find that that's consistent with many in history who've for a time seemingly been successful, seemingly prospered. You think of many of the Psalms, how the wicked prosper. And, and their evil and their intent is, is opposite to yours, Lord, but how can you let that go, how, let that be? And then as the Psalmists express that, that concern and that, how can this be? They come to the place, but then I look at their end and I know when I enter the courts of the Lord, I stand before you as a righteous man, and they don't; they will be be destroyed forever. So, there is a prosperity sometimes in the Antichrist system for a limited time. He will be anti-religious and especially anti-Messiah. He will be anti-religious and especially anti-Messiah. That's number six. He will, and and I, there's a little phrase in there that's that's quite. Um, or it's it's not that easy to initially grasp its in verse 37 if we look at these few verses well let's re- read it from verse 36 to pick up the the sense of what we're seeing here the king will do as he pleases he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods that's his blasphemy he will be successful that's his success until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. Verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. The one desired by women, that's how the NIV puts it. I think that's re- reference to the Christ child. The, the promise from Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman will be the one who will destroy Satan, crush your head. He will be wounded, of course. His his feet will be wounded, but he will crush your head, and it's the seed of the woman. And you can see this so clearly through the Old Testament that Satan has orchestrated hostility and uh, warfare and elimination of male children, and he's also sought to make women barren so that there would be no significant women barren. So over and over again, God opens the womb of a woman who's barren, who's part of the this, this, the... Divine line of which the Messiah comes—it's brilliant, and that's part of the warfare. So, I think that's the primary interpretation. Just in passing, it's interesting in Barry's um, application of this or his his unpackaging of this. He looks at the the original language here, and it's the it's not so much the desire of women as of another person, but the the need of women, the the expectation, the aspiration of women, and he. he uh, applies it as to as Islam's motivation is to demean women, to silence women, to shut them down, to isolate them, to, to, to abuse them. And, and so I think that's a, that's a very fascinating insight. And that, look at the DVD and see what you think and then tell me I'm wrong or he's wrong. Then number, uh, so number seven is he'll be militarily powerful. Number eight, he will be initially victorious, initially victorious. But he's not, while he has, if we take uh, our Daniel 9 understanding, he makes a covenant with many. That means he becomes a world leader. He becomes, he carries favor and people respond to him because he seems the one who can bring about resolution of the world's crises, the world's dilemma, the world's complications, and he brings that, in an economic sense and he brings it in a religious sense and there's a lot of fascinating and I think very valid speculation and we're allowed to speculate a little bit as long as we don't go overboard and it's happening in our news currently that Jerusalem is being promoted as a world religious centre and a world city rather than being the capital of of Israel uniquely and you can see how that's starting to happen the Pope's been there recently and there's all kinds of stuff going on and in Barry's presentation, he shows how the, at the, currently, of course, on the Temple Mount, there is the, the two mosques the Dome of the Rock, which is the classic hexagon, whatever it is, that we see on all the pictures of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and the Al Aqsa Mosque. The Dome of the Rock is very significant. It's the third most holy mosque in Islam because it's by tradition, there's Medina and Mecca, but by tradition, Muhammad stepped off that rock into heaven. Obviously didn't, but that's their belief. But in Barry's uh, understanding of this, uh, potential speculation is that that temple area could accommodate not only the mosque that's there, but a restored, a rebuilt temple, Jewish temple, right alongside. And I've, I, in my own research, I've got some gener- computer-generated pictures as well that show that. And when I go through Revelation with the students, I show it. And I say, it's quite a big area, and I used to take study tours to Israel, so I walked up in that area. It's quite a large. If any of you have been to Israel, the temple area is pretty big. And there's a cupola where we understand, and Barry's done some research with a friend of some aerial photography, and that seems to be where the Holy of Holies was. And so Orthodox Jews won't go up there for fear that they would violate that. But it's very, obviously you know how tense that is, and it's protected by both the Israelis and by the Palestinians, because it's... It's not. It's a tinderbox waiting to explode. Fanatical Jews think we need to we need to get rid of that. We need to burn that mosque, get rid of it, so we can have our temple back. And of course, fanatical Muslims are saying this is where this is where everybody should be. Everybody's going to be Muslim, and we're going to make you Muslim. So it's, it's, that's where it all. <laughs> that's where the real issue lies. But it's fascinating that uh, in that whole temple area, there's plenty of room for the mosques and for a temple and for a Buddhist temple, and for a Sikh temple. And as I say to the students, even a Cape and Ray center could be up there. <laughs> I won't be there, but look after it well, please, and, um, and tell Dan to look after it and, ma- and make sure it looks after No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's speculation, I know. But we just keep our eyes open and see, see what's happening. So number nine, he will establish headquarters in Israel. And number ten, he will come to his end. He will come to his end. So that takes us through chapter 11, which is a pretty uh, full and remarkable prophecy of literal history, history for us, but future for Daniel. Then finally, chapter 12, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish and we can have a little bit of time, probably a few minutes at least, maybe. But if we go to chapter 12... This is the, the revelation and resurrection, and it's a great finish. It's a great finish because it doesn't finish with the end of the Antichrist. You know That would be good, but it's not about the Antichrist. It's not about Satan. It's not about ISIS. It's not about whoever the current evil figures are in our world. It's about the living Christ. It's about the King of kings and Lord of lords and the one who reigns already. He's reigning in us. We are in his kingdom. We are seated with Christ. We are joint heirs with him. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been resurrected already. We've, If we died with him, Romans 6, in his death, we are resurrected with him in his resurrection. So this is important. This is information. This is Helpful for us to read our times, to understand and have conversations and bear witness to God's faithfulness and the remarkable word of God to those who are who don't know, who are ignorant, and those who might challenge it. But the beautiful thing is that it's ultimately about Christ and his victory already achieved for It, it is done, finished, tetleste, paid in full. Even so come Lord Jesus, as we'll say at the end, Maranatha. So it... It's faithful to this time, this intense period, this seven years. So, the first affirmation is the time of tribulation, the time of tribulation, if we can put that up. And of course, there always has been tribulation. We know that. There's been horrendous times, and there'll be more to come, and maybe it'll then ease off and be more to come. We don't really know 100%. But it does, there is this intense, specific time. And in Revelation, it's a different Greek word for the uh, trials than it is for the general tribulation. And it's in the the language that Daniel's given to use here. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So this is a unique time of, of tribulation. But it's also a time of deliverance that's under 1B. Because he goes on to say, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Isn't that great? And that's the whole point. Whenever I go through Daniel or whenever I go through the book of Revelation, um, there's a lot of things I don't know. But one thing I do know, it makes me want to tell my neighbor about Jesus. It makes me want to say, if I have any understanding, and I do have some, I think, Of what God is about and what is to come, friend, please be right with God. It's so critical. How wonderful to know that our names are written in the book of life. Anybody can do that. Come in honesty and humbleness and obedience to what God has promised and faithfully given and demonstrated and put your trust in Him. It's a time of deliverance. The third one, it's a time of resurrection. Resurrection for both saved and unsaved. And look what it, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And the contempt there, as I put in the notes, is a very strong word. The only other time it's used in the Old Testament is Isaiah 66, and it's translated as loathsome. This is not, as we said this morning in church, um, you know, some big party in hell. This is not party time. So, that, but there is resurrection. There is also next one is the time of reward. The greatest joy is to lead others into truth and righteousness, and we can we shine like the stars. That's the reflecting the glory of the Lord. So there is the time of reward, and there is nothing greater to invest in. As I've just put a little quote here from somewhere: If you want to do something that will last a year, plant a flower. If you want to do something that'll plant that'll last a lifetime, plant a tree. If you want to do something that will last forever, plant the good news. That's, that's the best investment we can make in our world. And then there is the time of the end, that final section here of chapter 4 to verse 13. The time of the end. And there's three figures again. It's a little bit like chapter 10. The angels and the one who is, who is embracing, uh, who's hovering over the river. Uh, here in this vision and it, I think it's the, the angel of the Lord again and it's the testimony um, as, as is often the case in scripture that by the testimony of two or three witnesses these things we can be sure so let's go to the very very last bullet point where Daniel is still perplexed in verse 8 and I can, we can understand it, I'm perplexed <laughs> with, with the amount of information the accuracy and the phenomenal um, significance of what is being revealed here. So this is not lightweight, this is not some obscure little guru having a a vision of something. It's not a Buddha who's wandering around trying to who you know, the the Buddha went was brought up in a very favorable circumstances, then escaped from that and suddenly saw poverty and saw beggars and saw old people. And that's what motivated him to to become to start what he was thought was a reformation of Hinduism, but turned into Buddhism. This is not that. This is not a, a a, a response to tragedy. This is an affirmation of victory over that which would otherwise be a tragedy. And it's, it's totally, totally different. And, and Daniel, though, is overwhelmed by it, understandably, I think, but he receives, he receives a fourfold answer. Th- these will not be fulfilled until the very end. And one of the consequences of the tribulation will be the purifying and refining of the saints and a confirmation of the wickedness of the wicked. It, there'll be nobody in doubt, nobody will be in hell going, "Whoa, how did that happen i didn 't notice <laughs> everybody will know God has done everything right, everything well in absolute perf- perfect justice. The key event to be aware of is that is the abomination from de- of desolation promised by uh, pr- uh, affirmed by by the Lord Jesus there and it's for the 129, uh, 1,290 days, and it's, it's said also 1,335 days, which we understand is the time for the judgment of the nations that is to come. The fourth thing Daniel is told is to persevere, knowing there is rest to come and an assurance of an inheritance into the eternal kingdom. Look at that last verse, uh, 13 of chapter 12. As for you, go your way till the end, You will rest, and then at the end of days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That's resurrection assurance. That's why we can say Maranatha. You know the Maranatha that they used to say, those early believers in Rome, as they were persecuted in in the arena, and as they hid in the catacombs, they would meet for fellowship, for breaking of bread, for a Bible study, for encouraging one another, and they would depart saying, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We're not defeated. We're oppressed we're persecuted but Lord we're looking forward to you coming and everything will be right amen so we've walked through Daniel are you, are you there your brain coping um, so I, I know we've pretty much used our time but maybe if you if would it's up to you Adam to yeah. have a few minutes just if there are I don't know if I can answer anything, but there I'm happy no, to. Uh,
1: there are no wrong questions. This is a great opportunity to ask someone who obviously spends a lot of time studying these. So don't feel, don't be backwards in coming forward to asking something that's on your heart. Maybe it'll be an encouragement. Like Peter said, he may not know the answer, but sure. there are no wrong questions. So even current situations, I'm sure. Right, yeah. Have, um, yeah, yeah Penn.
0: Yes, yeah, I, I heard him speak. Yeah, he was Kiwi. Yes, <laughs> I do now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a fly-by-night in some ways. I, whoever just said something impressive, I, I'm in their camp, and then somebody else something, so I, I switch camps. So don't, I'm not very reliable. No, that's not true. But I, Barry was great. I loved hearing him. He was funny for a. One thing, but it was always the gospel, and I love the way he would say, um, "Now, when I'm finished, I'm going to invite you to come and receive Christ." And he'd said like in the first few minutes, and people would come, and they're because pre- they're prepared. It was brilliant, and and uh, he had some fascinating insights. Remember on the American dollar and all sorts of stuff. What the Scripture is is pretty clear. It, it says in a number of places that, he, that the Antichrist will be an Assyrian, and so rather than a, It doesn't say rather than Jew, but it, he's a Syrian. And, and I think particularly in this latest information from Barry, he makes a point that, um, that the Turkish way things are working out just in the current situation, Turkey is playing a very shrewd central role. It's quite happy with ISIS. It's quite happy with what's happening in Syria and the unrest. It's quite happy that Russia is stepping in and keeping it all messy... Because they're claiming increasingly to be the moderate. To be, they've half of Europe, they're half of the Middle East. They've got the, from what Barry said, they've got the second largest army in NATO. Yeah,
1: if, if, if the Americans would pull out of NATO, they would have uh, two. To...
0: And so, and the Assyrian Empire embraced Israel, Syria, Lebanon, um, Iraq. So broadly. It's, if I was to put it my name to if I was to have to write an answer, I would say, yes, he's, I think he'd be likely Islamic in the current situation, yeah, rather than an, an orthodox Jew. Right. I th- well, okay, yeah, it would be he does it it's, it's here in chapter in chapter eleven that he's so deceitful. He uses deception. So he'll appeal to the world. Uh, This is my understanding projecting it, conjecture, that he will, I mean, people, it says in Thessalonians, when the people cry, peace and safety, the end will come. In other words, we're no longer so worried about other things. All we want is peace and safety. And isn't that how it is, you know, globally and locally? And if somebody will offer it, we'll take him, whoever he is, you know. Now, Israel's crying out for peace and safety. It's not going to get it. It's it's constantly the target, and it knows that. But it there's a lot of atheists in Israel. Apparently, there's more per head of population than most countries, and so they're hard headed. They're 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 astute. They're so astute, so they'll play games. And I think they'd sign up with anybody, um, knowing they'll play their game with it as well. So, I don't. I think it's quite f- f- feasible. Yeah, that that they would. Yeah. Oh really? Right. Uh th- yes, very shrewd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well. And, and one thing that, that Barry mentions in the DVD is, you know, when in the end of Revelation, it talks about the demise of Babylon and the commercial Babylon first and then religious Babylon. And with the collapse of commercial Babylon, all the, um, all the, the people doing business are crying, oh, what's happened to our business? Look at the ships. And they're seeing it from the ships. Well, historic Babylon is on a river, but it's not... On an ocean, whereas Istanbul, which is so central to everything, is right on the main shipping lanes for Russia, for the Middle East, for Europe. Everything is right in that central area, and there's a lot of history with Constantinople putting his capital city there in the centre of the Rome, which has obviously got significance. So, yeah, there's, there's some interesting things emerging. Yeah, Ewan. Right, all uh. right. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's so true, know, and it's happening. It's orchestrated, and it and the person on the street doesn't get it. You know, they think, yeah, the problem's religion. Let's get rid of religion. No, that, that's already a religion. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, it's a good call. Yeah, yeah, Gog and Magog, and just in, in immediate thought is. If if it's looking like a a, a Turkey Russia confrontation coming into Israel, then I see. I think that fits that Gog Magog uh, invasion, and it talks about them coming from the east, which would be the China and the Indian. They're going to be superpowers, and when this all happens there, they they their commitment is is there as well, because the whole security and stability of the world is based on Israel. So. I think I think Ezekiel thirty-eight thirty-nine really fits in with that scenario. Yeah, there's yeah. Well, that's right. And um, you need to see the DVD because <laughs> he really ref, he really does put that together very very well how that all has happening. Yeah. Can I just? Ma- I think it's good. Daniel. Um, but this captures obviously a lot of things. but You can see the, the Daniel statue at the beginning. Nations that are, are expressed there in the tribal nation. And, tribal beast rather, and they're referred to down here. And Israel is blinded. This is the time, the current time. This is between the 69th of the 70th and the 7th, the last one. And it doesn't mean that individual Jews don't come to Christ. They are, wonderfully. Um, and Johan Shep, who will be preaching here in November, two weeks' time, very close to us. Part, he's part of torchback part of Cape and Ray. And um, he came to the Lord. He's Dutch. He came to the Lord in Israel. He's a great minister in Israel. When I first went there years ago, i was told it was about 700 believers. Now it's in the thousands. Wonderful. So individuals are coming to Christ. But as a nation, it's Blinded and it's depending on itself. It's building its own resources. That's all. With what we've been doing, and um, all the way through, it's I think the Daniel pattern all together. yeah go for it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah I don't really know the answer to that. your okay. name
1: So, with the technical difficulties, hopefully we've got that recorded. I think Phil will check that out um, as soon as possible. Um, So, uh, if you want copies, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people will, um, hopefully they'll be available. I have put my phone up here to try to make it as a backup, so hopefully that has worked if that hasn't worked. So, um, yeah, I'm... Yes, go for it. Yes, yes. yeah Mm. yeah yeah Yeah, that's what i was going to actually mention actually with with the dvd um of course you know we can circulate that the, the one copy which which is fine but it's always good to support where we can support and if we're supporting by buying the DVD, then, then i certainly encourage that as well. Um, but, yeah, I'm 20 minutes from the end, so you can't have it yet. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's eye-opening. It's, um, it's quite, yeah, like Peter said, he's got a real passion and, and quite, um, quite convincing, very, very convincing. Uh, I'm very much a, a, a babe... With, with prophetic things. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he makes it very clear, very succinct and plenty of biblical references, which is always good as well. So, yeah, um, I'm nearly done with it. Um, so if you want to have a look at it or get the email off Peter and, and, and purchase one yourself. Great. How much it $10,000. I'll I'll give you my bank
0: details.
1: (laughs) Donation, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about you come up? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea, Kingsley. Thank you. Once again, we appreciate you coming, Peter, and and extend our thanks. So enjoy the rest of your night.